Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Lubert. I'm fighting a bit of a cold, so I apologize about that straight up. It seems like everybody around me has been sick. Uh, If you don't want to be on the show, you can always give me a call on the listener hotline. I have a couple of interesting calls uh, that uh, have come into the hotline. The number is 303 832 0217, including a guy that wanted to talk to me about my uh, right-hand drive vehicle story uh, and how he has uh, right-hand drive vehicles and sells them and imports them. I'll tell you about that in, a, in an episode, a couple uh, episodes down the down the line about uh, about driving right-hand drive vehicles. In other words, a vehicle like you would drive in England or uh, in Japan with the steering wheel where the passenger usually sits in the United States uh, in uh, on roads here in the U.S. So just, just like the Postal Service uh, trucks, right? Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll have that in a couple of episodes. Uh, well, the Labor Day weekend, uh, that it's well behind us now. And it marked the unofficial end of summer as well as the unofficial end of summer road trips. And there's some new data from Cambridge Mobile Telematics that shows that Labor Day, the holiday, sees heightened levels of distracted driving and speeding by drivers. And the average trip length increases on Labor Day by 5%. So I wondered if other holidays saw a similar increase in these numbers and what that trend is like. So I contacted Matt Fiorentino, the Vice President of Marketing with Cambridge Mobile Telematics, which is said to be the world's largest telematics service provider with the mission to make the world's roads and drivers safer. Matt, thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving a Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. Great right. to be here. All right, before we get into the holiday distracted driving study, I know that you have an interesting background. Background, You actually got a music composition degree from UNC. <laughs> what, what instruments do you play? <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I do have a degree in music composition from uh, Carolina. So I'm a Tar Heel, uh, lived in Chapel Hill growing up, and I play piano um, as well as saxophone, clarinet, and flute, but it's been many years since I really picked up any of those instruments. Uh, do you miss it? Uh, my daughters both play instruments. One plays the flute and the other one plays the French horn. Oh, yeah, I, I miss it. My my daughters are, are 12 and 8. My older one plays the flute in middle school, so I'm able to help her learn a little bit more there. And my younger one's taking piano lessons, so I'm able to help her out with that. So it's it's great being able to live through that with them. Um, but there's just not a lot of time anymore to sit down and, and go through the practice that's required to get to, to the next level. So it's great. Um, I highly encourage it. It's it's like me and my guitar from college. Yeah, I, I haven't picked that up in years. Uh, and, and then you went back to school to get a marketing and communications degree. Well, why didn't you stick with music and, and went into uh, communications and marketing? Yeah, I, after I graduated from college, I spent some time abroad trying to figure out what I really wanted to do next. <laughs> and I was in journalism for a while and wrote for the AP in uh, Rome for a little bit and then went to the Dayton Daily News for a while and decided that I wanted to be the person making the quotes instead of taking the quotes. Um, but I loved the storytelling and I wanted to be an advocate for something. So at that point, I decided I wanted to go back to school and get my master's in marketing and went to a great school in uh, Boston called Emerson. Um, and out of that, really uh, started my career in marketing and technology companies. Yeah, I'm sure that your reporter experience helped in that as well. Then you transitioned into marketing, and one of your stops was, uh, was for a company called Super Pedestrian. Uh, you you probably liked working there because of all the capes they made you wear, right? <laughs> well, that was an that was an idea that we pitched for branding, and it did not get approved. It, it didn't fly, as per se. It did, it did not fly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and interesting, they were they were working on something called the Copenhagen Wheel Project, basically taking a regular bike and then making it an e-bike. Are, are they still doing that? So this is actually phenomenal technology. And one of the ways that we really got people excited about it was inviting them to the office, which is in Cambridge. It was a, a company built out of MIT. And the technology was magical in the sense that it made you feel like a superhero on a bike. So you could go like 20, 25 miles an hour on your bike without breaking a sweat, go up really steep hills. And the technology was so fast that it was processing faster than the brain can process your movements. So it just felt like natural movements. It was just incredibly smooth. Um, So unfortunately, I don't think it's on the market 
any longer today. That the e-bike market is very difficult. It was a fifteen hundred dollar product. Um, as you mentioned, you would put it on the we would say the bike that you love can get an upgrade. Um, but I think it was just very difficult uh, in terms of pricing against what else was out there for buying a full e-bike. Um, but I think in terms of performance, uh, it was really leading the way. Yeah, because about a dozen episodes back, I talked with Oliver Montague, and he's uh, the co-founder and CEO of a company called Switch Technologies uh, out there in, in, in England. Um, and, and they do basically do a similar thing where they send you a wheel with an electric motor on it, and then you put that on your bike, and then it becomes an e-bike. Yeah, it's a very similar idea. So I, I think they've used that technology and pivoted away from e-bikes into more micro-mobility, so using that technology in scooters. Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, and uh, if you can always go back, I'll, I'll put a link to the uh, that earlier episode in the description of the show, as well as, your, of course, all your contact info. Now you're with Cambridge Mobile Telematics, and you get to use your original news background there uh, to talk about data like what you sent me, risky driving behavior on major holidays. And, and it was interesting because your data showed that there was a dramatic increase in risky driving behaviors and distracted driving on holidays, including Labor Day. Yeah, so maybe I should take a step back and kind of explain how the technology works so everyone has context for that. So we have a artificial intelligence-based platform that ingests data from a bunch of different sources, from these little IoT devices uh, that sticks to your windshield that has sensors in it to the phone, which has a bunch of sensors in it, like the accelerometer, which if you've ever counted your steps, that's an accelerometer at work. And driving behaviors, that's going to pick up hard braking or acceleration. Um, it has the gyroscope. So if you're ever taking a photo from portrait to landscape, that's the gyroscope at work. So it's capturing where the phone is in three-dimensional space. And it's an incredibly sensitive sensor. So when you're tapping on the screen, um, we're picking up on that. We're able to identify different distracted driving behaviors from those sensors. We also get data from connected vehicles. So there's a ton of data coming off of connected vehicles that allow us to understand vehicle dynamics a little bit better. And then there's also video and, and other sources. So the, the platform essentially takes all this data and fuses it together and normalizes it to create insights that make sense to us. So hard braking, speeding, acceleration, distracted driving. And then we package all that up for our customers to use in risk products, detecting crashes, getting people help, helping with the claims process, as well as changing behaviors. So we have over 30 million people who have been on the platform to date. And with all of that data, one thing that we like to do is educate the public and policy makers on how to actually improve driving behaviors. And one thing we started to do recently to what you were talking about before, we've started looking at trending data over the past few years for what's happening on specific days throughout the year. So holidays we identified as being days with elevated risk. Um, and we're looking at days like Easter Sunday was seeing distracted driving levels that were 5% higher than the days that were right uh, around Easter. Uh, we looked at July 4th. That was another day with uh, higher levels of distracted driving. And the latest one, as you mentioned, was, was Labor Day. So we're putting out these alerts, one, to just let drivers know that there's going to be elevated risk on the roads and to pay attention. And we're going to bring more solutions for people to help them understand when throughout the day there's going to be higher levels of risk. But I think it's also important for our state and local officials to understand that there's this elevated level of risk. We were at the Cape over the weekend and just driving uh, throughout Massachusetts. We saw a, a number of signs saying, hey, it's Labor Day, pay attention, um, don't drive drunk. But there were no signs around distracted driving. So this is a way to help us just get the message out. And as you mentioned at the top, our mission is to make the world's roads and drivers safer. So this is an additional way that we can help beyond the pure technological and product function with our, our customers. But we always hear from these uh, law enforcement agencies that they always step up their, and you, and you mentioned it, their DUI enforcement around holidays, less uh, distracted driving, but it, uh, it seems like they're always targeting more the uh, impaired driving than the distracted driving. Is that a mistake on their part? I think it's something that 
they need to look at both. The challenge with distracted driving is it doesn't leave a trace like drunk driving. Drunk driving, you guys have passed and you, you blow into the breathalyzer and it'll show up. With distracted driving, it doesn't, it, it's very hard for police officers to identify when that happens. If there's a checkpoint, drivers are going to put their phones away and there's no way to see um, from the police officer's point of view if somebody has been driving distracted. Now, what we can do with the data is identify when there are elevated levels of distracted driving and issue these types of alerts um, because the coverage that police have too is limited. You know, they set up certain checkpoints and that's not going to cover everywhere where drunk driving or really distracted driving is happening. So I do think that's an additional um, behavior that police need to be looking at. And depending on the state's laws too, it can be very difficult to enforce. I think with the new hands-free legislation that we're seeing coming out from a number of different states, you're seeing that it's a lot easier to enforce. You're not allowed to hold your phone or really manipulate your phone at all. That's very clear. Um, when you don't have a hands-free bill and it's more just focused on texting and driving, it's very focused on texting and driving. You could be using social media or dialing your phone, things that are potentially have higher cognitive loads and can increase your crash rate by significant amounts, but are technically legal in the state. So I think it's the state's laws that's the first thing that they need to look at um, as they're looking to reduce these dangerous behaviors. Yeah. Michigan and Ohio are one of the latest states to change their laws where you cannot even pick up your cell phone and use it at all. I know here in my state of Colorado, it's illegal to input data. I think the way they, they put it is that you can't input data and send. So basically, I can't send a text message, but I can read one. I can't send a Twitter message, but I can read one, which doesn't seem, yeah. it seems kind of, you know, still a, a total distraction. Yeah. And there's a, there's a difference between screen interaction and phone motion. These are two different types of distracted driving that we're capturing. And the way that Ohio and Michigan are doing it is the right way to do it. I think when there's any ambiguity in what the law is, it makes enforcement incredibly difficult. But also from just the citizen's point of view, we've done a lot of studies on this. People are really confused about what the law actually is and what they're allowed to do. It's close to 70% of people in, in states with hands-free laws that don't know that their state has a law on the books. So I think the legislators need to be very strong and clear about the language that they're using when they're introducing these laws so that if you're in the state of Colorado, you actually know what you can and cannot do. And there's no kind of conflicting and confusing language for people who are out there. Like they need to know that they can't touch their phone, that it needs to be all hands free. Um, and that they, they're not reading text or looking at TikTok or anything really kind of zoom calls, like whatever it is, they're not doing that while they're driving. Cause all of that is taking your attention from the road and increasing your crash risk. My guest is Matt Fiorentino, Vice President of Marketing with Cambridge Mobile Telematics. It's so funny because just yesterday I'm driving and I did a story about this. I think it was last week about how Tesla uh, drivers, they're supposed to be able to put their car in uh, their autopilot mode, but they, they're, they're supposed to keep looking at the road. Their eyes are supposed to be on, and, and, the, and the software is supposed to be in the car, noticing when they're not looking, when the driver is not looking at the road, and then tell them, hey, you, you can't be in the autopilot. Well, yesterday, I'm driving down the interstate at 60 miles an hour, and here's some lady in her Tesla, obviously in autopilot mode, because she has both hands on her phone, and she is doing the whole scrolling, the whole thing, and she's totally looking to the right side where she's using her phone and interacting with it. So obviously, the car should be seeing that her phone unless she has eyes in the side of her head uh, that's not looking at the roadway and is totally looking at her phone and just letting the car drive for herself. Yeah. Well, that's obviously super dangerous and nobody should be doing that. But I, I think to your point on the, the EVs and the larger screens in the cars, like we've done research on this and have looked at how like the traditional internal combustion engine vehicles, perform uh, versus hybrid versus smaller EVs versus Teslas. And what we found is that distracted driving is actually a lot lower within the newer vehicle types. So like the hybrids and the EVs and the Teslas. That The caveat on this is that the distraction that we're looking at 
comes from the phone. So we still need to do more research on this, but we think there's a transference of distracted driving going from the phone screen to some of these larger built-in screens in the dashboard that you might find in a Tesla. So all types of distracted driving is dangerous. And whether or not you're on your phone screen or on the display in your vehicle, if you're not looking at the road, you're just increasing the chances that you're getting into a severe crash. It seems like that's the same technology. I remember I was trying out a uh, insurance app where I would get an insurance discount for not using my phone or dri- and driving safely and that sort of thing. And they said I had to do- download the app on the phone and they were going to be able to measure how fast I'm going, how hard I'm braking, how hard I'm turning and all that kind of stuff. And so the technology is, is there. It's just a matter of how, how are you collecting all of that? How do you get the permission to collect all that data and then uh, use it for, for these studies? Yeah. Can I ask you who uh, your insurer was? Uh, it was. Well, that was, oh, I can't remember. This was like a, a year or two ago. I, I, can't re- I honestly can't remember. So this, we work with 21 of the top 25 auto insurers in the U.S. So I imagine that whatever program that you would sign up for was powered by our technology. Yeah, I wouldn't. And you're you're identifying a a key point with all this technology. People have to download the app or install the technology and essentially turn it on. And so what insurers are doing to improve and incentivize safe driver driving is every year they're giving over $4 billion of incentives for safe driving. So when you sign up for one of these, they're called usage-based insurance programs or UBI. And like I said, most of the insurers today, almost every single one in the top 25 will have it. Every single insurer in the top 10 definitely has uh, one of these programs. You can save money right off the bat by just enrolling in one of these programs. I saw a stat the other day that it was close to $100 that you would get a discount off your insurance. Uh, just from signing up. And so this is encouraging people to learn more about safe driving, to install this technology, to help them get safer, and then to save money on insurance. So these discounts that people are able to get over time have increased significantly. If you're a safe driver, you can save up to 30, 40, and even 50% off of your insurance in certain states. And so that can add up to two, $300. And as we've seen that insurance rates are starting to go up because of inflation and just additional costs throughout the the claims repair process. People can reduce their uh, costs for insurance by introducing these types of programs and driving safe. So it's hundreds of dollars off your insurance. And it's really just turning on this technology. And you can essentially forget about it because you never need to open that. Um, you don't need to have it in the background or uh, press a button when you're starting a trip. It all works basically magically uh, as you're driving around and it gives you feedback on your driving. We've actually seen that the more that people will look at their driving behaviors and, and learn about them, they get safer over time. So we're able to see that, for example, with distracted driving, um, we've seen that when drivers are engaged with one of these UBI apps, they're able to reduce their distraction by over 20% over a couple of months, which is a significant amount. So these programs are making a huge difference uh, in road safety. So it's really about to your point of marketing these programs more, getting into the hands of more consumers, getting people like you to talk about yeah. them and just consumers telling their friends about it. Because they really, if you think about all the ways that you can save money today, there isn't really an easier way <laughs> to save a few hundred bucks a year, download an app, drive safe, and you're going to cut your auto insurance bill by significant amounts, right? So, you know, I was going to say, it's interesting because that app that I was I was testing out and, and getting a quote for, it was going to save me maybe $100 every six months. I, I mean, $100 yeah. or $200 a year is, is still $200 a year. But, but for me, I, I didn't want to have the the prying eyes on my driving every single minute and and knowing that if I start driving a, a certain way or, or driving faster whatever I however I wanted to drive that they were going to ding me for that yeah that's a concern that some some people will have around just if I drive uh faster on this trip or if I slam on the brakes here at a stop sign what's that going to do to my score and the 
reality about this is over time, we're looking for larger risk uh, profiles. So like if you slam on the brakes once or twice, like that's not going to really impact your overall driving score. Like we want you to slam on the brakes if, you know, a kid runs out in front of you. Like we, we hear yeah, people right. say, well, do you want us to just keep on going? No, no, we, we definitely want you to slam on the brakes. But hard braking um, is indicative typically of near misses. So if you're tailgating somebody and they slam on the brakes very quickly, you don't have a lot of time to react. So you need to swerve and slam on the brakes. So when you have a lot of these types of behaviors that could lead to a crash, it indicates less safe driving, right? So I think the apps try to coach people into safer drivers, into safer driving behaviors as well. And a lot of people really appreciate that kind of feedback on learning about how they're driving and where they can get safer. I, there aren't a lot of people out there that say, yeah, I want to drive riskier, right? Like People will say, maybe I'm not the safest driver, but they recognize that. And I think given the opportunity to like put down your phone or maybe speed a little bit less, um, certainly slam on the brakes less frequently. Like These are all behaviors that will increase your risk. And I, I don't think really uh, many people want to increase their risk for getting into a crash or potentially hurting other people. So I think um, overall, like people are very excited about these programs and they turn on the technology, they want to get the discount and they're looking forward to learning more about the driving behavior. It's interesting as I was just thinking about one of our meteorologists at the station, she has a Tesla and she gets the insurance through the Tesla and she can see on her dash what her score is. And the score is her safe driving score. And if it goes down, uh, you know, goes down. She always tries to keep it at 95 or above. And if it starts going a little bit lower, then she gets all upset about it. And she goes, I have to drive. Just, I, she'll just spin around the neighborhood a couple of times to go safely so she can bring that score up, <laughs> which is kind of funny that she does that. But it, it, it's freaking her out. Now, now she has a mental condition that she has to keep her driving score at a high 95 so uh, that she has a lower insurance rate. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that's how it, it's working, right? Yeah. Like She wants to keep her score up. Um, I would not encourage people to go drive more to keep their score up. Um, but no, it's good that she's paying attention to it. And this is exactly what our research shows. The more that people are aware of their driving behaviors, the more safe they become. So uh, your colleague is doing exactly the right thing, paying attention to her score and really uh, identifying those risky behaviors um, and trying to remedy them when they happen. One thing that we've introduced in the past year or so is what we call real-time alerts. So instead of just seeing your score, you're able to identify when you're doing something risky in real time. And we focused on hard brakes. So sometimes it's difficult for people to understand, like, what is actually a hard brake? If I go to a stop sign, is that a hard brake? The technology uses on-phone processing to understand when you slam on the brakes in real time. And we'll have an audio alert say, uh, we detected a hard brake. And by identifying those risk events in real time, people start associating how they're driving to that uh, alert. And we've seen over time that actually reduces the amount of hard braking by significant amounts. Uh, it was like 14% in some of the initial testing that we did on um, one of our apps that we have for free. Anyone could go down. It's called Open Road. It detects car crashes and, and uh, gets you help. And so sometimes we'll introduce uh, new features on this that we're, we're testing out. So um, we had two groups of people. One group didn't get any uh, hard brake alerts. The other did. And we baselined them for a month. And then when we turn on hard brake alerts, the hard brakes started reducing. So you're able to improve people's driving behaviors by both giving them feedback on educating them, like the, the score that your, your colleague had, but then also just nudging them in real time and saying, hey, that was a hard brake. Um, they start identifying those and they'll, they'll identify the situations that they have to um, reduce those risky behaviors. My guest is Matt Fiorentino. He's the vice president of marketing with Cambridge Mobile Telematics. We're talking about one of their latest articles called Road Risk Alert Labor Day Sees Heightened Distracted Driving and Speeding. Going back to the different, the bad driving behavior that happens around holidays, is it is it that holidays just let people drive more relaxed and that's why we see more distracted driving and we see more driver 
poor behavior and speeding? Is it that there are fewer people on the road? Is there something about each of these holidays and the different ones that, that allow us to, to just feel more free to be a bad driver? Yeah, it's a good question. The, the trends that we've seen is that on holidays, what do people typically do? They'll go see family. They may go on vacation. You know, on Labor Day, a lot of people go to the beach or maybe people go to the mountains. Like they're taking longer trips and there typically uh, tends to be more traffic because there are just more people on the roads during those days. And if you're going to see family, you will probably update them on your status. So you hit traffic and you're calling them or you're texting them, you're late. And so I think it's this convergence of a lot of people are traveling. A lot of people are going to see friends and family. Um, they're going on vacation. They're going longer distances. And there's just more opportunities for these risky behaviors. Um, I think when you're on the highway, you may have a more a higher likelihood of speeding, getting there faster if you're late, you know. So um, I think it's all these things kind of combined. And it's just really for every holiday where there's some kind of family event or some kind of um, get together. Like I said, Fourth uh, of July, people are getting together for barbecues. Labor Day, people are getting their last trip at the beach. Easter Sunday, families are getting together, right? So there's always a social component that's there um, when you're starting to see additional levels of distracted driving. It's just, I think we want to keep people updated or we're getting inbound requests um, and people say, it's not a no big deal. Like I'll check it, send a quick text off to um, my family to let them know where I am. But it's uh, it increases crash risk significantly. You know, it's interesting. I, I did a story several times over several years uh, about some research that shows that Thanksgiving, uh, that Thanksgiving weekend is actually more deadly on the roads than about any other time of year uh, because it is families coming together and they know they're going to be cooking on Thanksgiving, but the day before, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, everybody's going out to hang out because everybody's coming into town and they're usually drinking and they're having a good time and then they go out and unfortunately they have some tragic results. Does, do you think your, your data shows some of that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we looked at the data for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day itself. And like we were talking about Easter and July 4th and Labor Day, and they were between like 4 and 5% increase. Thanksgiving is over 11% increase in distracted driving. Wow. So I mean, it's more, it's almost triple, right? So it's significantly high. And I think, like you were saying, people are getting together. It's like one of the most family oriented holidays that we have. And I, everyone is going to uh, family or loved ones yeah. um, on, on Thanksgiving. And I think that just creates a situation where everyone is providing updates on what's going on. There's a lot of traffic. And so we just see a very elevated level of distracted driving for Thanksgiving. And I would think it'd be the similar to Christmas and New Year's would be a little bit different just because it's more of the party holiday. Yeah, Christmas is is high as well. Um, it doesn't turn out to be as high as Thanksgiving. It was around six percent, so higher than the other days, but still um, significantly lower than than Thanksgiving. And the effect kind of falls off for New Year's as well. New Year's is slightly elevated, but um, it's not quite as high as what we've seen from the other holidays. Groundhog Day is probably right there on the level, though. <laughs> Groundhog Day, you yeah. just have to keep on going back to it. So, no, I, we we have, you know, uh, I was looking at Halloween before this too. Halloween yeah, actually right. does not have a, a elevated levels of distracted driving for the entire day. And that may be because people are coming home early for, for uh, trick-or-treating. Maybe people are staying home from, uh, or working from home for the day. And maybe just fewer people are on the roads. It's unclear uh, exactly why, but it's actually um, somewhat lower in terms of distracted driving compared to other holidays. And that's probably uh, great news because there are so many kids that are just running across yeah. the street and, and you never know when they're going to run out in front of you. Yeah, exactly. That's actually really, uh, it's really good news to know that distracted driving is down during the, during Halloween, just because like you said, there are so many people walking around. And really, it's a good point on pedestrians and, and uh, cyclists. Like, these are the people who are seeing some of the highest levels of fatalities. Um, pedestrians have hit a four-decade high in terms of fatalities over the past couple of years. Cyclists, same thing. And it's because people are looking down at their phones and they're not seeing people crossing the street. 
So they're hitting them with full speed, which uh, leads to really deadly results. So it's good news that it's down on uh, Halloween, but we have a lot of work to do on Thanksgiving and, and uh, Christmas. And is there a time component to this, whether it's you would you would intuitively think that evenings and, and late nights would be more distracted, more deadly and more dangerous than maybe in the early morning or the midday? Yeah, that's exactly what we see. So early morning driving from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. is the lowest level of distracted driving. Then throughout the day, it starts picking up around the commute times. It's a little higher, but really... Um, we looked at how the pandemic impacted different levels of distraction throughout the day. And the times of the day that were the most impacted were evening as well as late night driving. So we've done studies in the past that have looked at how teens drive versus how parents drive. And there's a clear convergence on the types of distracted driving that happens in the two different groups. So parents are more distracted during the commute. They're going to work but they're more distracted by their uh, making phone calls. So handheld phone calls go up. It's less about the screen interaction and, and phone motion. There's there's some of that, but like if you look at the differences, the uh, phone calls are, is the big one. Teen or, or, or young driver distraction starts really going up after eight o'clock or so. So as they're starting to um, go out to whatever friend's house or whatever party, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, like going deep into the night. Um, I believe it peaks around one in the morning or so. But that's really about screen interaction. So they're texting, they're using social media, all, all that kind of stuff. So it's a very different kind of distraction profile than the parents um, happening later in the day and um, doing the more cognitively intense uh, action of actually just interacting with the screen. And, you know, it's interesting, you were mentioning the pandemic, and I was covering pandemic traffic and the shift in traffic patterns over the pandemic. It really shifted to a really heavy traffic more in the midday than in the traditional morning and afternoon commutes. Now, that's changing now because more people are being recalled to the office. But still, it, there is a, a bubble of heavier traffic that we never used to see in the midday compared to other other day parts. So I, I, it'd be interesting to see in your research over many more years how that affects uh, the distracted driving numbers that you're seeing. Yeah, is the pandemic caused beyond just obviously the, the damage to society and um, all the fatalities in terms of just driving behavior it just wreaked havoc. Like all the traditional um, behavior patterns that we saw were kind of upended. So when the pandemic really began in March of 2020, people were staying home, the roads opened up and the behaviors that we saw on the road was people were speeding significantly more. Just the time spent speeding increased by over 60% in the first few weeks in um, March of 2020 into April. We also saw distracted driving really skyrocket in those first few weeks. And that really never came back. I mean, we were talking um, about some of the increases over the years, like 2022 in terms of distracted driving was 23% higher than 2020. So we saw these spikes in 2020 with the pandemic and then people just picked up these bad behaviors that they really never gave away. Like they, they did not come back to pre-pandemic levels. The one difference there on that is when traffic started picking up again and there were just more cars on the road, speeding actually came back down. So speeding was almost a function of the level of traffic and the number of cars that were around other people. So you just don't have as much space to speed. But distraction kept on going up. And so um, we actually worked on this estimate to help people understand what is the actual impact on lies from distracted driving. When we talk about a 23% increase in distracted driving from 2020 to 2022, what does it actually mean? We found that for every 10% increase in distracted driving, the crash rate will increase by 1.4%. So if you look at 23% increase, the number of additional crashes that happened in 2022 caused by distracted driving, 420,000 wow. additional crashes, 1,000 fatalities, as well as $10 billion to the economy. So the $10 billion number comes from NHTSA estimates looking at how much car crashes have 
impacted the economy. And NHTSA estimates that throughout the year, it's about $340 billion coming from around 14 million car crashes throughout the year. So the average car crash in terms of the impact of the economy is around $24,000. So we're trying to make this real for people. And when we say like distracted driving is increasing on Labor Day by 4.6% or on, on Thanksgiving by 11.2%, there is real impact in terms of increasing crashes and increasing fatalities. So this is not just a behavior where you're getting a text and you're reading it and you know it's okay no you're increasing risk and people are dying because of it it's interesting that you said that congestion is helping lower speeds obviously that's natural because not only has speeding gotten out of control there there's obviously less enforcement out there uh and i i've noticed that ever since the pandemic as well but it also increases the uh, distractions congestion does because people are bored sitting in slower traffic so they're going to grab their phone but they're at least they're not speeding and, and going fast enough to hopefully kill somebody yeah it's it's a vicious cycle and we've talked to a lot of mayors and government officials throughout the country and i think a lot of local police departments are, are suffering from uh, a lack of staff and hiring issues and just in, enforcement um in general so I think what you're seeing, uh, we're seeing across the country and a number of mayors are trying to figure out how do they bring on more officers to um, just enforce the laws that they have on the books. The other thing too is uh, they have to train their officers on which laws they're actually going to enforce. Like, <laughs> what, how are you prioritizing? And I think to your point on the DUIs and setting up those checkpoints, it could be that um, drunk driving is just a higher priority, something that's easier to understand and test than distracted well, and, and driving. more money. It's more money for, for the, uh, for the officers who get the, uh, who get the DUIs. Yeah. So I, I think part of it, like we talked about the laws and how they're written and, uh, it being very important that, uh, distracted driving laws are a primary offense versus uh, a secondary offense, just in terms of, um, enforcement. But then also I think, the penalties and the fines that they introduce when they have the law um, first come on the books is incredibly important because that's when most people are really paying attention to the law. That's when the politicians come out, give their speeches. That's when people like you cover the law. And we found that that's when the awareness of the law is at its peak. And we've seen this again and again in states that have introduced hands-free legislation. That first week when the law begins, the level of awareness among citizens is the highest that it will ever be. So you need to come out of the gate with the strongest message that you can. So Oregon had a hands-free bill back, I think it was 2017, and the initial fine for distracted driving, the first offense, was 240 bucks. And so we measured that and we saw that there was an impact uh, on distracted driving. Distracted driving uh, dropped by a, a few percentage points. A year later or so, um, officials decided that that was not enough. $240 wasn't enough. So they bumped it up to $1,000 for the first offense. And so we were curious, well, all right, this is going to get press. And are people going to be paying attention to it? Is this going to reduce distracted driving behaviors even more? It didn't. <laughs> there was no impact to behaviors on the road after they increased that fine. So. The learning from that for me is you need to grab the public's attention when you have it with the strongest package that you can introduce because you get one shot on this and really that's the most important point. Um, you're giving your officers, if you people have a grace period, all the education. So letting them go out and educate the public wherever they're setting up their checkpoints or however they're um, enforcing in the first however many months. Um, giving those talking points that really make it clear that people should not be doing this and making it painful enough, if you're going to do it, for them to really think twice about it. Is it really worth a $1,000 ticket to, uh, to check this text or send something out? Because the consequences, of, as we said and again and again, they're deadly. And um, a lot of people just don't take distracted driving as seriously as they do drunk driving. The stigma is very different. Like people tell me all the time when I tell them what I do, it's like, oh yeah, you know, 
I, I still uh, drive distracted. Like I have to check Facebook. I'm addicted to it. It's like, yeah, but you, <laughs> you're putting yourself and your kids and everyone else in danger. You should not be doing that. Um, we see from the data that it increases crash risk. So I think it's a confluence of things. It's like the, the hands-free bills and the fines and the messaging on that getting a lot stronger. It's like what you're doing, covering these things, increasing public awareness. It's joining one of these UBI programs from insurers get money back for driving safe like insurance has gone up save money by joining one of these programs and just pay attention to your driving behaviors like people have smart watches today they're going through the quantified self trying to understand how they can better in other areas this is an area where you can quantify how safe you are you can save money and you can save lives on the road including yours and your families my guest is Matt Fiorentino, Vice President of Marketing with Cambridge Mobile Telematics, and we're talking about distracted driving. It's counterintuitive to me to hear those higher fines not affecting the driving behavior because yep. all I see is signs up on our highways, and you'll see it in the literature, saying that a DUI will cost you $10,000 in fines and cart costs and, and all these other fees. And and I always said if you if you could fine people $10,000 for distracted driving or for speeding or for whatever, then yeah, it's, it's, it's outrageous to have a fine that high, but there, there are so many people that go, well, I can't do that. So I'm going to drive, drive well. I mean, I'm not, it's, it's that, or you have to have so much enforcement out there, whether it's going to be uh, camera enforcement or actual physical police enforcement that will stop people from driving the way they're driving right now. Yeah, and I think part of it's the toolkit that safety officials have today. Like, they're using the the best tools that they have available. So they're putting out billboards. They have digital campaigns. They're running mass media awareness campaigns to help people be educated on what the laws are and what the fines are. And they're working with uh, officers on where they can enforce. Like in Ohio, they have the distracted driving corridors where they are enforcing distracted driving um, with officers on the roads there. And I, I think what they're lacking today is really this kind of real-time data where they can identify where are these surges on the roads, like we're in Massachusetts, and wouldn't it be beneficial for safety officials to know on I-90 from like where the Red Sox stadium is, Fenway, to um, you know exit 17 or 139 or whatever it is, like that's where elevated levels of distracted driving are typically from uh monday through wednesday right like being able to have these levels of insight into driving behaviors on certain segments of roads will allow them to say all right well let's put billboards through it and and test how those billboards are actually changing behaviors i i think the way they're able to measure performance today citations like you talked about with officers and enforcement crash reports and fatality reports and so none of this is really in real time um the citations are based off of where the officers are stationed essentially like where are you putting them um so if they're on route one they're not going to capture anybody <laughs> any driving data on on route two right and then crashes it's already too late those crashes have happened it's nice to have the data to look at to identify future trends but um the driving behaviors behind the crashes can really provide a lot of insight into the kinds of treatments and methodologies that road safety officials can adopt to further reduce those behaviors that will lead to crashes and fatalities. You know, anecdotally, I, I was talking to officers here, at least in my county, Douglas County on the south side of Denver, and they were telling me that they don't do as much, or if any, now highway enforcement where they would sit and have a speed trap, the old-fashioned speed trap, on the interstate yeah. because they've had problems in the past with Drivers not moving over, drivers running into their vehicles. We've seen all the different uh, videos that are out there from dash cams about uh, officers getting hit or vehicles getting crushed. Uh, a couple of officers, one state patrol and one uh, Douglas County, was were killed uh, because distracted driving um, in parts of the county doing those doing that enforcement. And so it's it's uh, it's a problem where the distraction is so great it's causing the officers to then not enforce the distraction because they're going to be hurt because of the distracted drivers. Yeah. And I, I think I mean, it's an incredibly dangerous job and 
we need to do whatever we can to make sure that they're safe. And then when people are pulled over, they're safe as well. And I think that some of this data, like we haven't looked into um, when people are pulled over specifically, but this kind of data can in provide insights into like, where are those pockets? And maybe are there other ways instead of putting officers on the streets in those dangerous positions to reduce those uh, risky behaviors? Are there infrastructure programs that they can introduce? Are there billboard programs that they can introduce um, to take the human element out of it to make sure that they're safe, but they're still seeing results from it. So I, I think there's this change coming with this kind of data that will provide insights into the driving behaviors for road safety officials that they can make these kinds of decisions that can weigh on where they have enforcement, where they plan to invest in infrastructure that would help reduce speeding, uh, distracted driving, et cetera, and then actually measure the results. So knowing if they spend $100 million on whatever type of um, infrastructure, like what was the before and after for that? And not just relying on the citations, but actually looking at the, the driving behaviors that not necessarily would be picked up by citations. So like hard braking we've talked about before, that wouldn't be picked up by, uh, like nobody's gonna get a ticket for, <laughs> for yeah, slamming on the brakes, right. right? But it is indicative of crash risk. So are you able to reduce those kinds of risky behaviors um, by introducing these new types of programs? Is it is it have we come to the point where instead of states going through these laws where where they're trying to slow down people using their phone and stop people from using their phone is it is it time we see this mandated federally? I think we need to have all the states go through the process of hands free legislation, but I do think at a federal level we do need um, legislation basically that will keep drivers safe. Hands-free uh, legislation has been proven to reduce distracted driving. And I think if we have a mandate at a federated level, a federal, federal level, we would see significant reductions in distracted driving. We'd also see more uniformity across patterns um, across all the different states. Like we've been talking about Alabama as a secondary um, offense versus Ohio and Michigan where it's a primary offense. That wouldn't be an issue anymore. Like we would see safer roads, we'd be saving lives. And I think we'd also avoid a lot of confusion for drivers at the federal level. You're going to have a consistent message for everyone, right? It's not going to be piecemeal state by state and confusion of, well, in this state, it, you can text and drive uh, or you can't text and drive, but you can like manipulate your phone by making a, a phone call. In this other state, you can't touch your phone at all. In this other state, you can read texts that are coming in, but you can't send it like... It's very confusing for people. People are incredibly busy. They have very full lives. They have so much going on to get into the <laughs> discrepancies and the granular, granular level of these uh, laws. It's just very hard for people to keep track of. So I think, yes, one big law at the federal level would help reduce um, distracted driving and it would save lives. Uh, and finally, I really appreciate your time. We, we we just came out of the 100 deadliest days on the road. Every summer we talk about that. Are are we getting better or are we getting worse? Will it take autonomous robo-taxis to make us more safe on the road? I think the trends have shown us that we've been getting worse over the past few years, but the early data out of 2023 shows that there has been a, a somewhat of a drop over the past few months. The, the good news on this, I think, is that we've seen that hands-free legislation works. We've seen that these UBI programs that auto insurers introduce work for reducing distracted driving and reducing risky behaviors overall. So I think it's a question of using the tools that we have today and making sure that more people get access to them. This is life-saving technology and life-saving legislation. So we need to do what we can to make sure that as many people as we can are aware of these programs where they can save money and reduce their um, risky behaviors. But I also think like going beyond auto insurers, we're starting to see automakers get into the mix. I mean, you alluded to autonomous vehicles, like full autonomy is going to take very long to get here, um, decades, right? Um, so I mean, we've seen what's been going on in San Francisco with... Um, the autonomous companies there, like people putting cones on top of the vehicles yeah. and causing all sorts of chaos. 
firefighters not being able to get to um, the buildings that they need to get to. So I think it's going to be some time for us to actually get to the level where everybody at a societal level is com comfortable with autonomous vehicles, but then also making sure that they can consider all the different edge cases. So like getting from zero to 90% autonomy is not a super hard problem. The problem is getting from 90 to 100, and that's really what they're trying to do now. So it'll be interesting to see with some of these experiments in Arizona and San Francisco, and, and uh, they're starting to look at North Carolina and other places to see what the consumer adoption will be and just what the overall safety levels will be. But I, I think we do have the tools today to reduce um, risky behaviors, and we're seeing uh, states and local governments really getting involved as well. Like we talked about hands-free quite a bit, but they're also introducing their own telematics programs now too, where we're calling them safest driver programs, where a, a city like Boston or Seattle or San Antonio, um, LA is another one that has done this, essentially offers prizes along with some kind of sponsor um, where citizens will download the app uh, LA safest driver, Boston safest driver, and they will compete for safe driving and they can win thousands of dollars. Um, a woman out of LA, uh, won $20,000 for, for winning the, the competition. And she was able to reduce all of her risky behaviors and, uh, won a ton of, ton of money because of that. But that also increases awareness. Like we were talking about before, it was covered a lot by local media. And that's going to get more people involved. So I think as state and local governments are looking at, all right, well, we introduced hands-free legislation. How can we do reduce distracted driving even further? You have enforcement, but then you also have these types of programs that can actually help reduce uh, these risky behaviors significantly. So I think we just need to scale this. Um, autonomy is way off in the future. And we just need to make sure that more people are using the life-saving technology that we have today. But but, but women like that are, are few and far between. You you've been out there. You drive. You you you've seen the yahoos that come right up under your tailbone and then try to get around. And they, I mean, it's it just seems like it's almost human nature uh, that people are going to drive badly just because there are some people who just want to drive that way and some people who want to do the right thing. So it's it's a mix of. Uh, of people being people and it doesn't matter where you are in the in, in the world frankly yeah i think part of that too is like the incentives that we provide because not everyone is going to care about saving two three hundred bucks off of insurance no. maybe people care about saving money off of gas and we've seen that safe driving also saves you money on gas uh, some people are going to care about carbon emissions so safe driving will save um carbon emissions from being produced so there's going to be a lot of different angles on this and hopefully we'll be able to address most of what people are interested in and uh, what would get them excited. Um, the prizes have certainly done it for a lot of people. We've seen rewards programs do it um, across a lot of different programs uh, have worked significantly. Um, so it's, it's about like, what do people care about and uh, what are they willing to do to kind of give up those risky behaviors? Have you, have you heard of the app called, uh, this app saves lives. It's called, uh, and, and, and basically they do the same thing that you're talking about. I, d I had an interview with them uh, a while back where they have an incentive where you download their app, TASL, and is as, as much as you drive not distracted by leaving your phone alone, you earn points. And then those points can be traded in for discounts at, at restaurants and, and, uh, merchandise and that sort of thing. Either if, 10% discounts up to 50% up to, up to a free uh, uh, a toothbrush. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all kinds of different <laughs> things, you know? Uh, yeah. And and so it, maybe it's something like that where you have to give the people the incentive to leave your phone alone and then at the end of the month, here's your check for whatever money or you get a you know a free whatever from a you know, discount at your favorite restaurant. Yeah, there, there are a lot of programs like these and they're very successful. Um, we have a partner out of South Africa called Discovery Insure, and their entire program is based off of rewards like this. They have fuel rewards, they have Uber rewards. And so their rewards program is just, it's amazing. And they've been able to reduce crashes by 24% with these kinds of uh, rewards-based structures. So rewards really work. People get excited about them. The kind of like lottery-based rewards are incredibly powerful when 
you're continually incentivized to um, drive safe and then maybe you win, like you were talking about a toothbrush or maybe it's a PlayStation or, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, but every week, you know, you come in and you're driving safe and you're part of the, the winning group and then maybe you win something. Um, so that kind of behavioral um, economics and modification is a, a really powerful way to do these programs. And it's just another way to look at the different kind of tools that insurers, automakers, and others have at their disposal to reduce risky behaviors on the road. Yeah, I, because I, you get a point for every, you can't see it on the thing. I, I, you get a point for every minute that you drive undistracted. I have 17,000 points, uh, and I, my, my percentage is 91% undistracted. But, but most of that it, it, distracted driving for me would be I, I have a phone mount on my windshield and I take a lot of a video for the stories that I do on television. Mm. And so I'm always rolling video at this intersection or that intersection or whatever. And I think that's what it's dinging me for. What what can you get with 17,000 points? Oh, let's see. Uh, I go to the uh, reward section. Well, I can get a whole lot of things. I can get a, uh, like I said, free bamboo toothbrush. Um, I I can get 40% off of what? This bike, uh, any off any adventure, this bike adventure, uh, farm to fork fitness, um, all these other discounts for uh, adventure things. Um, so it's it's pretty, and, and uh, it has things to do. It has health stuff. It has services. It has food. Uh, so you can get discounts on all these uh, different things that you would want to get. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, the rewards programs are incredibly powerful. People love them. Young people love rewards. Love, love, love rewards. Um, Amazon gift cards, Target gift cards, like they get so excited about them. Um, more excited than, than the discounts that their parents are going to get, if, yeah. if you can believe that. Right. Um, but it's a great way to engage young people specifically and to just get them, like everyone else, more aware of their behaviors. And um, it's something that they check in on and they want to know when are they going to get that discount or when are they going to get that gift card. So um, it's just a really great way using driving data to incentivize people to put down their phones, reduce their speed, and just pay more attention to the road. Yep. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time, your insight. It was uh, fascinating, a great conversation, uh, and, and best of luck with your effort to keep people safe on the roads. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been a pleasure. That was some seriously great stuff there. And, and I think the point to all of this is that we are consumed with using our phones. I, I like my phone. It allows me to do so many cool things. I take pictures. I can watch television from around the world. I, I can see the weather radar and track storms when they're coming at me. I, I can watch my home security camera, know what's going on there. I know instantly what's happening with news around the world and around my neighborhood. It is really an amazing device, but driving takes more attention than most people think, and the phone sucks away a lot of that attention from you. It's obvious, it, 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 and nobody is immune to it. Even the people that say, I can multitask anything, you know, you, it sucks your attention away from what you're supposed to be doing. Have I used my phone while driving? Yep, sure have. Well, and I probably will continue to do it on occasion. But I do realize, and I think most people realize, it is dangerous. And, and, I, and I really do try to use it as infrequently as possible. But yes, I still use it. And if I crash or do something stupid, I will be the first to curse out myself for getting into that situation. Because I know better. And I should know better. I, I, I was really surprised, though, about the higher fee, uh, fines uh, not reducing the frequency of cell phone usage in Oregon. Uh, maybe if there was more enforcement that went along with the higher fine, then there would be more compliance. Because if you hear from friends that they, let's say, got a $1,000 fine, then I think that word would spread and, and maybe fewer people would be using their phone. You can't just, hey, now the fine is $1,000 if you get caught, but nobody's getting caught. If nobody's getting caught, then who cares? You could have the fine at a million dollars. If nobody's getting caught, then nobody's getting fined. And then word's not spreading. And, and I think phones are really the cause of more pedestrian deaths and injuries than ever before, and, and the cause of more injury crashes uh, and fatal crashes than ever before. Again, more information 
is out there about how dangerous these phones are. You you can read it, the research there from Cambridge Mobile Telematics. Uh, the, I have the link in the description of the show, but you can you can read about how dangerous it is. Everybody knows how dangerous it is, but yet we keep doing it. So uh, what what's the end? Uh, maybe a, a phone jammer in your car <laughs> where it, it, there's a bubble which which makes the phone only uh, only certain programs uh, available for use. Uh, maybe for just uh, emergency calls or something in your car. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can always contact me on any of the contact links in the description of the show. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Looper, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>